Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. All right, let's have have a little sip of water, maybe? Yes. <clears throat> okay, whenever Time you're to back. gargle. To gargle. <laughs> I'm a gargoyle, too. Oh, man. I couldn't, we were playing trivia the other night, and there was music trivia going, and uh-huh. I couldn't remember the name of the cranberry song, Zombie. And oh, I yeah. Knew it was, and I knew it was like, uh, Zombie! Uh, zombie! Uh, and so... <laughs> And so I, you know, I was like, well, I remember it's a mythical creature. So I wrote down gargoyle. <laughs> <laughs> gargoyle, gargoyle. Yeah. So yeah. that's what everybody else is singing to me now. They're like, oh, the cranberries on gargoyle. I'm like, fuck the cranberries, man. Fuck the cranberries, the cranberries car alarm. <laughs> that's a, that's a European ambulance. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, sorry if your cranberry, if the cranberries are listening to us. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Oh well. Mm. Back to you. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Hey everyone, it's Elliot and Todd. Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar, an ongoing conversation about pop culture and iconic design. Today we continue talking about the formation of the pop art scene. And the introduction of its greatest superstar. He made the lowbrow highbrow. And along the way agitated a lot of people. So let's raise our glasses to the master manipulator himself back here in the bar. Okay, I have a question for you. Sure. Have you ever walked out of a movie? Yes, but... That you paid for? That you paid for? Yes. Okay. I've told you this story before. Okay. I walked out not being thrown out. (laughs) Well, do you remember (laughs) when I was in the movie theater one afternoon and a drunk hit the telephone pole during Casino and the whole theater went dark? And then, oh man, I had forgotten about that. Yeah, and so you know, you're two hours into this movie, and all of a sudden, <laughs> shoom, 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 everything just grinds to a halt. <laughs> and this is before cell phones, and so uh-huh. everybody's just kind of sitting wordlessly in the dark, and is like, you know, what's going on? And then finally, the ushers came in with flashlights, and they're just like, yeah, we just lost power. We'll give you passes to the. Um, to the movie and you can come back, Uh you know, some other time and watch it. (laughs) And for those of you who have never seen Casino, Sharon Stone's character in that movie is so abrasive. I was two hours into this movie and I was sort of like, I just, you know, it's like a sunk cost thing. Like I've already put in two hours. I'm going to see this thing through to the bitter end. That's that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And then God said, no, you're not. 
or at least the drunk guy did. And so, you know, the power goes out and it's like, here's your pass. Come back and sit through all of that again, just so you can find out what happens. And so I never saw the end to that movie for 25 years. I never knew because I, I, mean, I was like, I'll be damned if I'm going to. I went back and watched. Uh, you a could show up two movie. hours late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like they would. Let, well, I guess at that point they wouldn't really care. But yeah. So, yeah. So I never knew how the movie ended. And then I finally I mean, this was within the last like five years or something, I caught it on cable or it was streaming yeah. or something. And I was thinking, oh yeah, I wonder how this movie ends. <laughs> and so <laughs> I finally watched it and I was like, yeah, yeah, that basically ended the way I thought it would. You're like, wow, I really appreciate the drunk guy now hitting the power line. It made the movie so yeah, much more yeah, exciting. Yeah. He, he was, you know, it was a message from uh, the universe for sure. Yeah. Uh, so how about you? Well, not that I can recall. Um, there was one um, when I was younger. It was one of those movies. I think it probably opened uh, on a Friday and closed on a Saturday. The next <laughs> or the following Saturday. Okay. Um, I so had no idea what was going on, but it was called uh, Nasty Habits, and and it was a, a movie from the seventies. And uh, my uncle took me. Uh, I, you know, so I was little. Um, and it was, uh, supposedly, I didn't know it at the time, but it supposedly it was a, a parody of Watergate, but it was taking place in a convent. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a little kid going to this. And, uh, yeah. And, the, and so, you know, we both kind of, we were like, I don't know what's going on here. So we got up and walked out, I think, but I, I don't think there's ever been a movie that I paid for that I walked out of just because it's kind of like, uh, I have this thing like, you know, this movie's not going to beat me. You know, I'm going I'm <laughs> to yeah, sit yeah. through this. I'm going to watch this movie. You have my money. But I asked that because that's an interesting thing that happens, uh, in our subject of today's, uh, uh. visit to the bar, which is, you know, we've been talking about the whole factory scene in, uh, this series. And we talked about all sorts of art that's been created and influenced and fueled by Andy Warhol and his merry band of oddballs. And film was a gigantic part of the daily life. And it's what Andy wanted to do most. And he captured everything that happened uh, in and around the factory, just normal everyday life. And he used that to, to make his, his film art. So today we're gonna put a pin in and we're gonna start with Warhol's anti-film called Sleep. And we're going to share some behind-the-scenes stories, talk about how that approach popped up later in lo-fi movies. I did air quotes there. Lo-fi movies like uh, John Waters' Pink Flamingos, which is one of my favorite movies, and The Blair Witch Project. Okay, so I want to return to something you said. Like, lo-fi, obviously, I get. I mean, yeah. hello. Like, just listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's the oeuvre in Guilty. we work, <laughs> yes. But um, anti-film, uh, talk a little bit about that, because I'm not sure. How can you be anti-film if you're making a film? Good question. Well, it's, it's part of a bigger art movement that really just rejects 
prior definitions and standards and concepts found in previous works. Um, so it questions the definition of literally what art is. What I love about the term is it, it questions art by making art. <laughs> well, okay, Professor, <laughs> whatever you say. Uh, why don't you dumb that down for the rest of us a little bit? Okay, okay. So Sleep was one of Andy's first experiments in film. And it goes way back to 1964. In case you haven't seen it, I don't know if you've seen uh, it. I have. I mean, I've seen very small snippets of it. And from what I understand <laughs> about the plot, I think I, in fact, have seen it. <laughs> have, have, now, have you, talking about sitting through a movie and you've got my money, um, have you seen it? No, and that's exactly why, because I can barely sit through like a, a two-hour Marvel fest when planets blowing up and shit like that. There's no way I could sit through a movie like Sleep, which was five hours and 20 minutes of silence watching a guy sleep. Now, was there a reason for that particular amount of time? <laughs> well, the thing that Warhol did was he tried to capture everyday life. So the actual film footage that was shot was not five hours and 20 minutes. It was looped uh, a uh, lot okay. over and over. But that was about as long as, you know, a decent nap would be um, or, you know, a, a, a not a full night's sleep. So <laughs> I was, it's it a was, hell of a nap if it's five, I know. It, it's either a, a long hours. nap or a very short sleep, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like a reasonable amount of time that someone would sleep. So it was real. Um you know, and it's like he filmed people uh, eating, and it would be, you know, there were no cuts. It just was however long it took to eat something or, or drink coffee or whatever. So that was a huge deal at the time. The guy that was filmed sleeping is a guy named John Giorno, and he was a poet and performance artist and happened to be Andy's lover at the time. And it was actually not a continuous shot, as I said before, for five hours and 20 minutes. Um, but that was the impression Warhol wanted to give. And it was really five reels that were looped and looped and looped and looped over and over again. So, so Andy Warhol created the animated GIF. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Give him credit for the flying toasters back in the day. Too. <laughs> or, yeah, you can, the pop cat or whatever. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Nyan cat. Yeah. Give him credit for that. But okay, the this you're gonna love this part of the story that I dug up here. Um, the film Sleep it premiered January seventeenth, nineteen sixty four, at the Gramercy Arts Theater in New York City, and it premiered as a fundraiser for the filmmakers cooperative. There were nine people that attended the premiere. <laughs> it was a big deal, as you can tell. Yeah, I was. They, it sounds to me like there was no pre-screening for this fundraiser, or they certainly would have chosen a different film. Oh my goodness! Well, I mean, great. you think about it, it's like Andy Andy Warhol was. Uh, completely ascending in fame and uh this was the first of this type of art that uh that they had seen of him so um well kind of made sense they but saw nine it in people, the sense you know? that he came to them with film cans or whatever but they hadn't actually <laughs> seen it seen it they so the the assumption here sounds like is that ah oh, well this guy's got the Midas touch if he can turn 
soup cans into something incredible, imagine what he can do with the medium of film, right? Right, right. I think that was exactly it. But uh, like I said, there were nine people that attended. <laughs> two, two of the people left within the first hour. Um, <laughs> they were the lucky ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there were film critics, uh, a guy named Jonas Meckes, who was actually the founder of the Filmmakers Cooperative, uh, who the fundraiser was for, <laughs> uh, and another guy named Archer Winston. Um, and they were also in the audience. They watched it, I assume, the whole time. And um, a guy who would go on to be something, an experimental filmmaker, and he was the projectionist, Ken <laughs> Jacobs. Um, he was there, and he brought a friend along who briefly operated the small underground makeshift cinema from a storefront at uh, 36 East 4th Street in the East Village. His name was Paul Morrissey, and he would later become a frequent film collaborator with uh, Warhol. You, I know you've heard that name before, Yes, right? I've heard of Paul Morrissey. Yeah, he was kind of a big deal for, with, uh, within the Warhol world. Yeah, so um, even though he was popular, it doesn't mean he was good, it sounds like. Well, I mean, good is is relative, right? Uh, he was very popular, and a, as an artist, he was starting to become more mainstream, more mm -hmm. commercially successful. Um, but his films, not so much. Um, we don't really have a record of who all stayed for that entire premiere of Sleep. Um, but we know at least three or four people left after a couple hours, and then probably the projectionist was the only one left at the end. Um, and, then, and even in uh, Warhol's memoir, Popism, he, Warhol says he talks about walking out after the first few minutes. <laughs> so he he stayed less than anyone else. Yeah, he's like, well, that's... So there's two questions I have here, right? So the first one is, the projectionist, if he was forced to watch this thing for over five hours, was he an experimental filmmaker before he took this gig? Or did this, like, tip the scales <laughs> for him to one, become yeah. it? And the other thing is, if Warhol, it almost seems like if he walked out after the first few minutes, it's almost like he saw it as a joke, as a practical joke or something. And he's like, okay, good. They're actually showing this thing. I'm out, right? Because it's like, I don't want to catch shit for this. Or, you know, I don't, it's like, he just kind of set the wheels in motion. And then he, he sort of disappeared, which I think is actually almost funnier. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it sort of is his character, right? He was disengaged from, from the art itself. He was done with it um, at that point by the time it was uh, showing. Yeah, he knew the punchline to the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, shit, I'm not going to sit through five hours and 20 minutes of this. I, I filmed it. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that already. I've done that. Um, but there's also a really funny bit um, when the movie was shown in Los Angeles. There was a lot of buzz around it, obviously. And they did a surprise showing at the Cinema Theater in Los Angeles. That I'll, was I'll later bet it was a surprise year. showing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so I saw a written account of the screening from the theater manager, a guy named Mike Getz. And <laughs> this, is, this is all like, he, he wrote this. This is all in quotes here. Quote, amazing turnout, 500 people. Sleep started at 645. First shot, which lasts 45 minutes, is a close-up of a man's abdomen. People started to walk out at 7, some complaining. <laughs> yeah, so this goes back to what I was just saying, right? So now 
Warhol's in another theater. He's on the opposite coast. In a way, this prank couldn't have gone any better, right? Because no one actually saw the movie, but everybody's talking about it, right? So he's capitalizing on this buzz. And, you know, the movie is... A lot of people think it's a piece of shit. And so it, it just goes back to, like, is he just screwing with people? Is he just seeing how patient they could be? Is this a an art experiment? Is exactly. it a social yeah. experiment? Is it performance art and the audience is the unwitting, you know, medium here? <laughs> like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to look at it. So Mike Getz, the theater owner, he goes on to say, uh, quote, the shot changes to a close-up of a man's head, and someone runs up to the screen and shouts in the sleeping man's ear, Wake up! <laughs> Turned into Rocky Horror. Right, something. right, right, right. There, it was like uh, audience participation at that point. So, <laughs> so, so the audience uh, wanted their money back, and and there were threats of a lynch mob, you know, in the theater, like with the manager, right? And to calm the crowd, the manager ended up giving out uh, about <laughs> 200 passes for another show. Like you couldn't give out passes yeah. fast enough. Right. Well, you know what the irony is, Todd? Those people all went back years later to watch Casino. They did. They did. Yeah. They're, they're glad they did that. The account finishes with um, Getz saying, and this is his, his last quote, Sleep continued on. The projectionists kept falling asleep. <laughs> People couldn't take the consequences of their own curiosity. <laughs> so, in retrospect, I suppose the title was completely appropriate. Yeah, I guess, you know, but so by the end... Almost 50 people were left in the audience, and some even enjoyed it, according to my guess. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Hmm, people leaving in droves. I wonder uh, if we subconsciously see Andy as a creative role model. Well, I don't know. Come on, man. Look around the bar. It's not that bad, right? Hmm. You know what? You're right. But I still won't turn away a free round to help me drown my sorrows, Todd. <laughs> Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading. reading! Gotta tell you about another great show in the Evergreen Podcast family, Gen X Grown Up. Yeah, it's great. Every week, hosts John, Moe, and George live up to their motto, you have to grow older, but you don't have to grow up. By remembering and celebrating everything great about growing up in the 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s. Yeah, so they have two types of shows, and they alternate every other week. On their regular episodes, they discuss and review what's new in movies, TV, games, and technology through the eyes of Gen Xers. And on the alternate weeks are their backtrack episodes, where they dig in deep on a single nostalgic Gen X topic. 
and it's a whole range of stuff. Things like the Walkman. Mm, how about pizza arcades? Oh, yeah, I love those. Delicious yeah, yeah. and fun. Movie yes. rental stores, Todd? We remember those. Yeah, not quite as delicious, but still fun. And bulletin board systems, do you remember those? Yeah, cork and thumbtacks, right? Maybe not exactly that. Oh, you mean like the war games kind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. The Rubik's Cube? You remember the Rubik's Cube, Todd? I do remember the Rubik's Cube, as a matter of fact. I bet you solved that, like, you know, uh, in in your sleep, didn't you? No, I attempted to solve it with a book and ended up solving it by pulling it apart and putting it back together. (laughs) (laughs) And... One of my favorites, action heroes. How about oh, that? Oh, yeah. You mean like Mr. Rogers? And Mr. Rogers is another good topic. And let's not forget something all Gen Xers are very familiar with, the mall experience. Do you remember when you and I had a mall experience after going to Mr. Dunderbox? <sighs> yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, we got to tell that story one day. We will. We will. We didn't get thrown out. No, we didn't. Okay. So, whether you're a Gen Xer... Or enjoy lighthearted and humorous looks at Gen X nostalgia, you've got to put Gen X grown up in your rotation. Yeah, and the show can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts like Two Designers Walk Into a Bar or right on their website at genxgrownup.com. Give them a listen. Hi. We want to take a moment to mention that if you're enjoying this episode, we have an archive of topics ranging from the Olympics to movie posters. Think Ghostbusters. Iconic images. Think Bigfoot. Punk music. The Ramones. Saturday morning cartoons. The Pink Panther. And failed products like OK Soda. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com for full episode notes and visuals the latest blog content, and to sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Find the links on our website or search using the phrase, two designers walk into a bar. Most importantly, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people like you find podcasts like this. And tell a friend about us. Send them a link to our podcast from your listening platform of choice. And if you're inclined, buy our merchandise. Stickers, coasters, magnets, t-shirts. We're designers. We make good stuff, and it helps support the show. Get in touch. Use the contact form on our website or send an email to hello at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. We read every message we get. Honest. And we're available for speaking gigs. Email us to learn more. Okay, now back to the bar. Okay, Todd, so we're back. Only 50 people (laughs) were left in a 200-person theater. (laughs) Okay, well, how is that for a rave review? Well, yeah, good good point. And just a a, a quick point of clarification, the theater uh, actually started with 500 people, and it it actually would hold 700 people. But, but yeah, (laughs) so it's even a greater number of people that left. Uh, You know, it was like... What a tenth of the people. Yeah, uh, like rats leaving a sinking ship. Yeah, but you're right, you're right, you're right. That's kind of a ringing endorsement, huh? Um, But between 1964 and 1966, Warhol went film crazy. He shot close to 500 films, and they were short, some were long, like Sleep and Empire, which I want to talk about in a minute. (laughs) That was eight hours long. 
Uh, some were silent, some had sound, some were scripted, some were improvised, and all were anything but conventional uh, cinema. And it paved the way for the emergence of independent cinema uh, as a serious artistic form that we know now. Which is, you know, that was cool, but uh, it was a rugged start, I think, for him. Most people might have heard of some of his movies. I don't know if they've seen them, but his most well-known ones were... Let's see, Poor Little Rich Girl, um, starring Edie Sedgwick. Mm-hmm. She was a bit of a hot mess at the time. Uh-huh. Chelsea Girls. Um, so the, the Chelsea Girls chronicles the goings-on within the famous Chelsea Hotel. And uh, this is in what Far Out magazine called hedonistic extravagances mixed with the rotting stench of the corpse of morality. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay. Well, I love the British press, but, you know, my only question is, are you sure that wasn't a restaurant review? I would hope not. (laughs) But, but yeah, I love that. uh, The rotting stench of the corpse of morality, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) So, Chelsea Girls, it was actually shown to Warhol's specifications, which meant that it was shown on two screens at once. Um, but only sound from one of the screens was, you know, was what you heard. But it gave you this feeling of like, you know, maybe you were walking down a hotel hallway or maybe you were scanning the exterior row of hotel windows and you see these little mini soap operas, these little mini dramas happening. Either way, it was voyeurism, right? Oh, yeah. So voyeurism, this idea keeps popping up again and again, right? He's right, right. watching these other people live their lives, do whatever it is they were doing. So narrative filmmaking in a way, but not in a traditional sense. You were sort of observing other people and kind of writing your own plot if you're an audience member? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you assembled your own narrative, right? That's basically okay. how it happened is you sort of got the the tools and the inspiration and you kind of put the narrative to it. Yeah, kind of like looking at all these different people sitting around the bar right now. Well, people, yeah, they're probably thinking the same thing. They're assembling their own narrative of us right now. <laughs> well, at least they haven't left yet. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Give them another few minutes and uh, I'll come and yell in your ear, wake up! And <laughs> 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 um, but, okay, here's a question that keeps popping into my head as we continue to unpack the whole Warhol factory scene. Do you think that he had these conscious plans of making sort of his big theme of the ordinary becoming extraordinary? Or do you think it was just what he liked? You know what? I think it's... I think the first thing you said Mm -hmm. is overthinking what he was doing. I think maybe it wasn't what he liked. Maybe it's who he liked because it was Mm -hmm. just this documenting what was around, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort Mm -hmm. of uh, whatever... What is it, cinema verite, where you're just sort of like taking pictures of life? I, yeah. There's probably film scholars who are like balling up their fists right now listening to me <laughs> talk about it. I'm not a was not a film studies major. But it basically is like, you know, capturing real life and then sort of doing something with it. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I think he was doing. I, You know, you used the term earlier, lo-fi, right? Mm-hmm, so it doesn't mm-hmm. sound to me like... He was considering lighting. He was considering sound. 
he was kind of um it was almost to me based on what i know about his films it was almost kind of like moving or or long form like hip shots like he's just kind mm-hmm. of yeah. capturing stuff right yeah 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 i mean not unlike doing 30 some soup can labels right it was something uh, in everyday life that he was finding uh, beauty in or or at least finding uh, commercialism in right but he had an impact on mainstream cinema his kind of wacky techniques and the themes were later adopted by Hollywood filmmakers uh, in the 70s and even beyond. So that sort of use of nonlinear storytelling became a thing. Fragmented narratives, documentary-style camera work, you know, handheld. It can be seen in other films um, that popped up later, um, like The Godfather, Bonnie and Clyde, and Taxi Driver. So... You know, all sort of were challenging what mainstream narratives were. You know, I've heard all those films are really, really good, but uh, Todd, I got to be honest with you, they're no airplane. Well, yeah, you know, I think think people have been throwing a bone to Godfather and Taxi Driver uh, all these years just to just to get some eyeballs on them, you know, because airplanes getting all of it. Yeah, we like we said before, we. You know, the fix was in when it didn't win an Oscar. We knew it. We knew that that's when we knew the Oscars were rigged, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we should watch that again, as a matter of fact. It's probably been a minute since we, we've seen it. Um, but his influence, Warhol's influence, it can still be seen in, like, modern mainstream movies and um, directors. They kind of... You know, sort of bucking the Hollywood convention and are seeking to create works that are more personal, even more experimental. Think about, okay, I mentioned John Waters earlier, Pink Mm -hmm, Flamingos. mm -hmm. You know, think about the way he does what he does. Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely identifiable. Think of Quentin Tarantino. Mm -hmm. The, The way he tells stories, you know, sometimes multiple narratives happening at the same time yeah um our buddy david lynch you know oh yes from our ad mascots episode so makes me wonder if he's still sitting in the hollywood big boy having lunch (laughs) yeah lover of the big boy right (laughs) yes so listeners we're gonna do a quick plug um if you love big boy and advertising mascots check out our fourth episode and uh, you can learn a little bit more about what we're talking about yeah, yeah. The, um, great, great episode digging into ad mascots there. Back to Warhol's influence, though. He, uh, he even um, influenced a recently celebrated British director named Steve McQueen. Bullet? Yeah, not that Steve McQueen. Oh. This, this is the guy that made uh, 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, definitely a different guy. Um, definitely a different guy, and British. But he cites, actually, Andy Warhol's 1964 film, Couch, as a major influence. He said when um, uh, he saw that, and he realized that Andy shot that at the standard 24 frames per second, which is what you know mimics real time in movies. Mm-hmm. But then he projected it much slower, so the film literally pulsated. So, you know, to him, he was like, this was magic and made him want to become a a filmmaker as well. (laughs) 
So, you know, when we think about all the stuff Andy pulled with the visual art world, it's easy to see kind of how he mocked, you know, even avant-garde filmmaking too, right? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I guess in the sense of how is it possible to mock an avant-garde film if the avant-garde film is already mocking (laughs) film, right? It's sort of uh, folding in on itself a little bit here. Yeah, we're having the M.C. Escher conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. the hand drawing the other hand or whatever. <laughs> yeah, we're going up the downstairs. And, yeah. you know, it's like we're having a, a, a film philosophy honor symposium here, man. This isn't an honor symposium, dude. This is a pop culture chat show. You know that. Yeah, although uh, listeners, we have been asked if we're secretly university professors. And uh, don't tell anyone else you heard this from us, but we are for hire. Yeah. Ding, ding. Give us a call. (laughs) Pimpin' ain't easy. That's right. All right. Back to mocking avant-garde films. Uh, Warhol pushed the bounds of good taste to even more uncomfortable limits. Uh, He had a film called Blowjob, for one thing. Not exactly multiplex fare right there that you would see everywhere. No. Now, Todd, uh, I assume you purposefully made a joke there a minute ago. What did I say? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that I did Blowjob and pushing the bounds of taste But uh, Uh, you're you're probably even more brilliant than you realize In in terms of the multiplex (laughs) It probably depends on the neighborhood you find yourself in We're going to have to put a parental advisory on this episode, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, parents shouldn't listen to this because the kids don't turn your parents onto this because they'll just be embarrassed. Yeah, true, 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 true. Not for everybody, right? Um, Well, and speaking of not for everybody, though, you know, these experimental movies, they were were kind of the avant-garde movies of the day. They were thought of by the hoi polloi as already being long and boring and not really going anywhere. So Warhol was like, yeah, you want to see long and boring? <laughs> I'll show you that. He made films even longer and slowed the film speed. <laughs> so, you know, he even filmed nothing for long periods of time. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, take that. You, you think that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the reverse of the lens cap accidentally being on. It's like yeah, it was yeah. accidentally off. <laughs> He's like, damn it, someone forgot to put the lens cap back on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know, Todd, this reminds me. Um, speaking of nothing, uh, my empty glass could be a Warhol feature. So uh, I'm hoping our bartender hasn't also fallen asleep on the job. Oh, man, I hope not either. But it sounds like a good time to end our conversation in the bar for now ah yeah so you can grab the next round uh great idea i couldn't agree more Welcome to Novel Conversations, 
a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.